Hello, Michael Tingser here. Coming Back Stronger is a special edition podcast series focusing on the way food and drinks businesses are bouncing back as the world slowly starts to reopen from COVID-19. We will especially be sharing great stories on how progressive leaders are bouncing back from the pandemic by utilizing the power of technology and delivery. By listening into these conversations in the coming period, you will be able to pick up great stories, insights, facts, as well as best practices from industry experts, independent operators to national chains, who all are setting a new standard for how to operate in the new normal. Vita Mojo and Hospitality Mavericks joined forces on this project due to a shared belief on how tech plays a massive role in building companies that's good for people, communities, and the planet. In this episode, we're very lucky to have Operations Director Paul Hooker from Boston Tea Party as our guest. They are a purpose-driven cafe operator with 24 units across the southwest of England. Paul has himself has more than 20 years of experience in the industry, working with some great national brands. Paul and I talked about their approach, principles, mindset on how to navigate the pandemic and beyond. Paul really underlined that the long-term purpose as an organization of making things better for people, community, and planet is in the forefront when they have to make difficult decisions. And it's always people first. We also talked about how Digital transformation is changing and optimizing their operation. They have now, within the last three months, pushed a digital roadmap three years forward. That's very impressive. Paul also tells how they're bouncing back with delivery and click and collect, as well as welcoming guests into their cafes in the coming week. There are some real concrete advice and solution in here on how to bounce back. So grab headset, sharpen your pencil, get your notebook, and enjoy. Welcome to the Coming Back Stronger special edition podcast series with uh, me, Michael Tingser. And we uh, have the, the end of June, and actually it's the, the day after the uh, Prime Minister had announced that uh, the whole restaurant had hospitality market allowed to, to reopen on the 4th of July. It's really good because today we have a, a very special guest here today. We have Paul, the Boston Tea Party, and we're going to be talking a bit about, you know, the, the, the event that just happened, but also the journey up to here and what their plans are as they go forward. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you, Michael. For people that doesn't know who Paul is and uh, the Boston Tea Party, can you just give them, you know, uh, a bit of an elevator story about yourself and uh, the Boston Tea Party and what you're all up to. I've worked in hospitality for 25 years now um, through uh, hotels, pubs, restaurants and now cafes. Uh, I've been in Boston Tea Party as the operation director for the last couple of years. And um, yeah, the business uh, was actually 25 years old in February and it was started by a couple um, back in 1995 and they started the first cafe in Park Street in Bristol and then grew it to four cafes. And then from there, the current owners bought it and have grown it from that four cafes to 23 cafes. Uh, our 23rd cafe in Taunton opened early on last year. So uh, it's a business that is very sort of purpose-led. Um, so our purpose is making things better. Uh, and, and we're very focused on being ethical, sustainable, uh, and running a cafe business that is not only good for um, the communities and the people around us, but that making things better principle around making things better for the planet as well and doing things the right way. Um, we genuinely believe that doing good is good for business. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more, uh, Paul. And, and where, whereabouts are you based? Because you're, you're not a, a London operator, you're a regional operator in the, in the south. Is that correct? Yeah, so as I said, the originating cafe was in Bristol, and that's where our office is. Our offices are above that original cafe, and we have the majority of our sites are southwest, so Bristol, Bath, Devon, but we also have cafes that going up the M5. We have some cafes in Birmingham, um, Cheltenham, Worcester, and then we've started to spread more recently across the south coast, so we're as far over as Chichester, uh, and we've got a site that we are looking to open um, in Worthing as well. Great. So. Also, what's going to be interesting in our conversation today is that you're a regional operator and uh, there has been a lot of stories uh, told from, from London. 
And it's always great to hear what's going outside London as well, because it, it, we all know it's different markets, it's different dynamics that's happening. So, so the pandemic came, like for many others, it hit you guys as well. What happened for you guys, and and where are you now? Yeah, I think like a lot of other people, actually, we were we were enjoying um, a good run of performance. Um, we'd written a three-year plan where we were planning to open four cafes this year, five cafes next year, and onward from that point. So we were really hitting a, a good point of expansion, and you know we were trading well. We'd had a record year of profits last year. So yeah, the pandemic really really hit us hard, um, and you know clearly has has been. A very difficult period of time for the business to see, you know, the, the issues that it's caused us, you know, through sales and the impact on the team. And it's been an exceptionally busy um, what's four months now, um, trying to work out how we get out of it. Really, um, we spent a lot of time protecting the team, working out things like furlough and all of the complexities that sit with that, but also making sure that we took a, a long term mindset that the business has to survive. Um, it might different for a period of time but we have to ensure that we protect as many jobs as possible uh, and ensure that the business can come out the other side fighting did you close down immediately or did you wait into the, the pandemic well you actually closed down is my question or and reopened so we, we closed every single cafe i think we saw the writing on the wall uh, and we made the decision actually ahead of the announcement so we had closed every single site the day before um knowing that Broadly, there wasn't you know uh, any chance that we were going to be staying open, and of course, it was getting harder and harder with the situation to guarantee the safety of our team, in particular, and of course, the customers. So we felt it was the right decision to close down. Um, it also enabled us to do it in a controlled way, so that we could make sure it was done properly. You know, closing down kitchens, ensuring things were safely um, stored up for what was at that point an indeterminate period of time. You said that this responsibility you have, uh, you know, you have to be good for people, communities, and 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 the planet. Has that been uh, has that been difficult to to balance in all this? Because there was a, like a very famous uh, leader and operator from New York, Danny Meyer, that said, "How do you put people first when you have to lay them off?" In a way, because in the U- in the U.S. you don't have a furlough scheme. That is just you're just over the cliff. So I think we're very lucky to to be part of a world where you can do things like that. But I could imagine that's like there's some really difficult decision that has to be made just the last couple of months, but also the months ahead to balance all these things. Yeah, you're right. There are difficult decisions. I mean, we set out at the start some core principles that were going to guide our behaviors um, as a leadership team. And they were that we're in this together. We, you know, we're going to not leave anybody behind. Uh, we're going to be open, honest and transparent. Uh, we are independent spirits. It's one of our core principles anyway, and that we would do it our way um, and that we would take a long term mindset um, and weren't going to a- abandon our core principles of making this better. So we've kept everybody in the lifeboat, so to speak. So 600 people um, work for Boston Tea Party. Uh, we haven't let anybody go. Um, we even at the start had people who I suppose have fallen between the sort of stalls uh, because of the way they set up the furlough. So We took people back who had left us um, not that long ago. So a few people who had left only a couple of weeks before. Uh, we contacted them and said, "Where? What is your situation?" And they said, "Well, you know, hadn't been started by their new employer." So we took them back, and we had other people who had left their new employer and were due to start with us, um, who again didn't fall into the scheme. So probably only about 20 people, but we've had to pay those 20 people out of our own money and not the furlough money. But I think go back to the point around having principles and having a purpose um it helped guide us so those decisions were made easier because we knew what the right thing to do was sounds uh, absolutely amazing because I, i agree with you when you have a difficult time exactly what i've heard the uh, sound advice i heard as well from uh, both from danny Meyer on a podcast but a couple of other business leaders outside the industry is that get those principles in place from day one in the crisis because it's going to be much easier to make decisions as you move forward Yeah, definitely, definitely. And yeah, we looked at other aspects of how do we um, minimize the impact on our most sort of vulnerable team. So you know, we you know obviously maximize the furlough scheme as best we could. Directors have taken the biggest pay cuts, uh, you know, and it flows down from there. Um, making sure that, as I said, we protect those people that are on um, the lowest incomes in our business and the industry. You were a part and spent your life had never had more difficult times. 
what is your thinking about what's happening right now? You know, because I, I, I can't even, I can't compare it to anything. I spent my similar time like you in the industry. I've never seen anything like it. And it's, it's like, like this dreadful situation that's happening. What is, what is your view on, on the general industry and, uh, and how it's looking for, for the short term? I think it's been an absolute shitstorm, to be honest, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, I've never known anything like it. I have, yes, yeah, been 25 years and there's no rule book for this. There's no um, sort of way of drawing down on previous experiences. So um, it's been hugely challenging um, from a sort of experience point of view. I think everybody has probably had moments where certain emotions have come out, you know, not afraid to say that there have been moments where I've cried, uh, been angry, been upset. Um, but you have to keep getting back up and, you know, keep pushing on, you know, that responsibility, as we've said a couple of times, for those people who work for us, uh, for the business, um, you've got to keep fighting back and you've got to keep getting up every day and finding ways to move forward. Um, not every day do you move forward. Sometimes there's a few steps back, but you know we, we've got to keep pushing on. And I think one of the things that stood out for me when I look at the wider industry is how entrepreneurial, how creative, how collaborative so many people have been, whether it's been setting up, uh, you know, feeding the NHS, whether it's been, um, you know, changing your whole model to become a, a retailer and supporting local communities. Um, it's been quite inspiring in that respect. So um, I'm... I, I'm an optimist. I, I quite often use a Churchill quote, which is uh, pessimists see the difficulty in every opportunity and optimists see the opportunity in every difficulty. And I am an optimist and I keep looking for those silver linings, those little bits of, of good that we can do as a consequence. Um, but yeah, in the short term, for a lot of businesses, this has been hugely difficult. And we've already seen, you know, certain casualties, uh, certain businesses that were probably not having an easy time before, but have now, you know, just not got the um, ability to keep going and survive this current situation. And that's, you know, big operators and small independents alike. Is it, is in your view, is it different in the regions than it is in London? Because you hear a lot of noise from London right now and, and many of the operators, there's of course, outside London operators that is in challenges and gone into administration, but there's a lot of noise around big players in, in London because people are probably not, going to return to the office environment in any near future i I think i think you're right i think in london clearly uh, a much uh, more dense competitive market whilst there is demand because the people the amount of people that live there you know it is a fiercely competitive market and things like the structure of rates and rents uh, uh, are much higher of course as a consequence so i think it probably does uh, be more challenging in those environments for some of those operators um, we've got, you know, the majority of our sites are all different landlords. So 23 different people to try and deal with. Um, some have been very good. Um, some have been very supportive. And again, we deal with on the majority of occasions, um, suppliers and we have relationships with suppliers that mean we've got good, um, you know, good ability to have conversations with them around how do we both get out of this you know um, whereas again if you're a big operator maybe dealing with some of the bigger um, companies that supply you again those conversations are probably more difficult to have um, and you're probably under more pressure to keep paying your bills uh, and um, keep paying your rents and rates and i guess i guess would it be an advantage for you guys that's operating in the regions uh, that you know people are going to stay closer to home they may be going to find local office space instead of traveling into london uh, in maybe the next 6 months let's say to the end of year i've heard some of the big companies are saying you you can st- you you allow, you should stay at home and work to the end of the year do you think that's going to help you recover in the regions as well yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple of things that are probably working in our favour and being quite you know, parochial about it from a sort of Boston Tea Party point of view. A lot of our sites are in, you know, sort of nice sort of middle class sort of affluent towns where quite often there's some level of tourism. You know, so we've got sites in Stratford-upon-Avon, for example, where I think with less people leaving the country to go abroad on their foreign holidays... Um, as you said, more people potentially working from home, less commuting. I think, you know, I was talking to my team earlier, and I think we'll probably see a pattern where through the week sales are much lower and more depressed because of the fact that less people are going into the office, etc. But I actually think weekends could overperform potentially because we could have more people staying in the country or just wanting to go away and do something at the weekend 
um, because they've been able to you know go away or do what they may have planned to do certainly through the kids holidays hmm. interesting interesting uh, that was the thought i talked with somebody yesterday from new york and they are seeing similar things just outside new york like people are buying up property even to move further away a couple of waves out to new jersey in that way and uh, and 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 restaurant trade our numbers are moving that way as well which is quite interesting they open on monday over there so it, it's still very early days for them as well what about you uh from an operational point of view so you end in this you close down you reopen what challenges have you done and what uh, adjustment to the operation has you done to start creating sales because you actually have been in 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 business for how many weeks is it we've had um, a number of cafes open now for a couple of weeks again we talked about it we said look you know if the 4th of july was likely and we worked on the the premise that you know that was the date um, and we were back from there to say well what's opening going to look like and i think we recognized quite quickly that trying to open every cafe on the 4th of july with every other potential restaurant hotel etc in the country was going to be quite chaotic i think you know not least for the supply chain um and getting everything back up and running so we made a decision that we wanted to try and open initially the thought process was for takeaway uh, takeaway only as as a number of the operators had been you know some of the big operators like pret etc so thought, well, actually we could do that um and then we looked at it and we said well actually you know what 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 else are we probably going to need when we reopen and we had long board discussions around what the future could look like and what some of the scenarios could present. Um, some of that was a bit crystal ball. Um, some of it um, we thought actually that could be quite likely. So um, we then started, or I took the job of starting to look at potential um, technological solutions. So app or, um, you know, using solutions where people could order um, online, click and collect remotely uh, and use that as a way of, opening up additional revenue streams for us that we didn't have before. It's probably worth saying we were probably behind on some of this because the last couple of years has been about really sort of settling the operation down and getting ourselves in a position where um, we could start to add more sites. Um, we brought some technology in, but our roadmap for technology didn't include things like ordering and paying a table um, or click and collect for takeaway, et cetera, until probably another two or three years further down the line. So one of my big takeouts from what's happened as well is that we probably jumped forward a number of years um, from a tech point of view in our business to try and get over what I think is going to be a significantly different trading landscape when we do reopen. And that could be there for a number of years to come. You already started using these technology. What what has the uh, what has the success rate been? Because there's a lot of different stories about the success rate for people. Some people are knocking out of the ballpark, and others are barely scraping any kind of revenue across the the door. Yeah. So for the first couple of cafes we opened, we did the first two weeks just with click and collect and takeaway, and we were getting about twenty five percent of our previous turnover. We then added delivery in to those two sites so again delivery was another element we've added in um, and those sites are now trading at about 60% of their previous turnover so that's been really encouraging for us now we have got one site in Bristol and one site in Birmingham um, so we did pick the big cities to go at first um, and certainly we've got you know a very long following there uh, in those cafes so um, whether that's replicated everywhere I don't know and we're currently in discussions around exactly how we roll that out um, but yeah, I think click and click and take away for the remainder of the sites that have been open now. Um, again, we're getting overall about 25 to 30% in those cafes. Um, so to me, that feels in the light of an economy that's not fully back up and running. You know, kids aren't back up at school. You know, people aren't traveling to the office. It feels like that's a reasonable starting place. And then hopefully when we open to dine in, um, we'll see that continue to build from there. I mean, we did so many financial models around what the future could look like to base some of our assumptions um, for just things like rotoring to open and what, what 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 do we need to spend to get ourselves sort of ready. Um, and our worst case now is 30%. Um, so I feel like we can probably achieve that um, and, uh, and build back from there. It's interesting. You said you started delivery as well. Is that, uh, did you do the delivery yourself or did you do it with a third party? Yeah, so we've used delivery in Uber Eats. Um, and again, it was something that prior to this point, we probably wouldn't have 
considered doing. I think there's lots of challenges with around, you know, what it does to your operation, um, you know, the experience. Um, so we we were hesitant, let's say, about adding it in. However, in this current climate, I don't think you can shut off any channel or be closed-minded to any opportunity. Um, and I created a, a sort of a model that we talked through, which we sort of, you know, probably probably slightly over-egging it, but we called it the omni-channel um, Boston Tea Party experience. And, you know, if you think we're a world where you can come in and get a takeaway, which, of course, we did before, but we didn't do a great deal of food um, for takeaway. You know, you can come in and get click and collect, which is broadly our entire menu and drinks offer. Um, you can dine in and you can also get delivery. There's lots of routes to market there and lots of opportunities to access customers that maybe um, we couldn't access before or in a new um, sort of landscape, um, people's behaviours change and might be more likely to order delivery than come into the cafe in the short term, maybe even over the long term. So we felt like we had to try and test everything and give ourselves the opportunity to learn in this moment. Did you uh, do massive adjustments to to the menu, to the food before you took it online? Because I guess it's a very different place to operate your menu. Yeah, I mean, we were very nervous. You know, you think about sort of scrambled eggs and baked beans um, in a box going to someone's house. You, you can just see sort of a, you know a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a mess. But our brand director did an amazing job, uh, Anita, working from home. She got all the packaging delivered. She cooked all the menu. We literally over Zoom did a menu development where we looked at how things were packaged up and plated in the boxes. Um, we did take off some dishes as a consequence. You know, we do a lot of food, uh, pretty much all of our food, obviously, from scratch. But a lot of food, like we do a shatsuka, which we make ourselves new soups. You know, there's quite a lot of, you know, sort of prep and cooking involved. So not only did we want to shape, make sure the menu was right for delivery. We also recognised that slimming the menu down in the short term would probably help us with our cost control, uh, labour management uh, as well. So, yeah, we probably shaved off about twenty percent of the menu um, that we would do previously. So now it's very much focused on our classic breakfasts and our classic breakfast and brunch dishes, burgers, toasties, um, and that's the main sort of bulk of what we're doing. As you then go into the new world, are you going to keep on doing the delivery, the, the click and collect uh, as part of the, the, the operation model? Uh, or are you going to do it on selected sites? What is your strategy around actually bringing that into the, the new normal, we can call it? Yeah, look, we're still we're still we're still discussing it, I suppose. So I don't think we've I can tell you we've finalized anything. Um, my personal view at this stage is if certainly for click and collect and takeaway, I see no reason why we wouldn't continue with that. We've got over the hard bit of working out how to deliver our product and our experience in that way. We've um, you know partnered with Peter Mojo to enable that for uh, our customers and for our team. So I absolutely think that becomes core part of our business moving forward. Delivery, I think, is is an interesting one because you know clearly everybody knows you are paying a fee. Um, and you know we we've got to allow for the fact that you know if if that isn't necessarily profitable, and we've got to make that full assessment and understand what it means for our business. Um, because a lot of our food is is a, is single plate food. You know, our average spend is about ten pounds, um, and for a lot of our um, a lot of our customers, they are having one thing. So you know, delivering one breakfast or you know uh, one one sandwich. We've just got to make sure it's profitable. But I think um, if we can prove that to be workable for us then yeah i don't see why we wouldn't um and we might not have it absolutely everywhere um certain locations might not be covered or um might not generate the right amount of revenue but um i think we've got to yeah we've got to work that through over the next few weeks and months to understand what it can do for us what is interesting with your business as well as you said you have this dining thing and then we 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 in a way we go into this thinking about contactless operation social distancing we have just heard the rule the, the rule have changed around that and there's a big document that's come out this morning and you said you just you you've been reviewing it with the team and I think everybody in the industry right now are spending the day trying to find out what are the the gaps we have to close that what what is that going to mean for for you as well because that's going to be a different way of working for the employees and the customer to experience I guess to come into your sites as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, as putting it part of the technology that we've taken on board is that we can now obviously enable order and pay at table. So whereas previously our service was you would come in, find a table, make a note of the number and order at the counter, uh, and then obviously we would do the rest. In a world where people come in, 
and sit at a table and order themselves. You're clearly removing an interaction with the team at the counter. So I think maintaining a level of hospitality and service is going to be really important. And I think that then becomes redeployment of the team from serving behind the bar um, at a till or a couple of tills to interacting with people on the floor. I'm just really, I've always been passionate about service and hospitality. And it's, you know, why I work in this industry. And the one thing that the current situation, I don't think, can do is remove the people element and the hospitality of what we do. Um, I, I say to the team, you know, we, we at the heart of it, we serve food and drink. And for that, we charge. Um, and we also, and most importantly, give hospitality. That's for free. Um, and we've got to find a way of continuing to give great service to interact with people. Yes, you know, in a socially distanced way, but it doesn't mean that you can't make eye contact. You can't speak to someone from a meter away. You can't make the environment feel as normal as possible while still being safe. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, there's this uh, need from the bottom of the or the, the first step in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, of safety in the moment, and we all and we and we all have these different levels of needs we have with that. And what I think it's uh, that's been quite interesting. I talked with uh, uh, Amy from New York yesterday, and she said that she saw a lot of people being out on the first night, just single people being able to sit at a table and have a human connection and being served a glass of wine. That, 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 that was like, you know, something people have hungered for. So I think we have to remember that as we reopen, there will be maybe a new market there in itself. I think there will be a new market. And I think, I think there will be different sections of people who will approach it in a different way. And I think some people, as you said, will be absolutely um, desperate to get out um, and prepared to sort of balance the risk in their mind of, going inside an environment and sitting and dining, I think there will still be clearly people who will be concerned. I think the important bit is we've got to give customers confidence and we've got to ensure that you know whatever we're doing is safe, but also not, I think to your point, it's a bit about hospitality or you know um, ensuring people have a, still have a great time. A, a lot of the signage, um, and, you know, a lot of things you're seeing in retail and a lot of the general signage out there, it's quite sort of telly, you know, do this, do that, don't do the other. And because one of our sort of principles is around positivity and humour, we approached it in a slightly different way. So when we were thinking about how we signed within the environment, we've used rainbows, we've used graphics of fried eggs, sausages, um, and tried to have a bit of fun with it, tried to make it a bit joyful. So the experience, whilst clearly gives the customers direction and they understand what they need to do to stay safe or stay distanced, it doesn't have to be in a really dour, um, authoritarian way. So I think that has to come into it as well, that people need to try and ensure that those things are present and there, but don't make it so that the dining experience is so dull, austere. Um, you know, at one stage, people were talking about people dining in plastic boxes. And, you know, I've seen obviously images of people in all manner of PPE trying to serve um, trying to serve people. I think, yeah, that that, that just just, I think, detracts from what we're trying to achieve, not undermining clearly the safety that we're trying to ensure for team and customers. Is there any other in innovations you are working on right now to, to come back stronger as a business you didn't do before? I suppose, you know, the ones we talked about are, are, are the primary ones. I think there's a few other things which um, we did actually just prior to lockdown, which I think we're getting better with. And I think we're using in a different way. Um, one was using uh, an app called Trail, which is a sort of, uh, you know, an auditing compliance app, which actually has been a real blessing at this stage because, you know, we've been able to build a lot of the COVID compliant requirements onto the app and we've got checklists that can be completed. We're able to keep that information and we're able to see the level of compliance with each individual cafe. So we're certainly using that to a much greater extent than we did previously. Um, and also probably one of the biggest things we um, that's benefited us certainly during lockdown as well is we implemented Workplace, um, you know, the, um, the sort of Facebook-based um, team engagement app. And, you know, without wanting to give any sort of advertisement to them, it has been quite transformational around our communication, being able to contact 600 team members 
and send a video or update them instantly with information around what's going on. Um, you know, we, we were a business that was quite reliant on email before. And now I think in the last few weeks, I've sent a handful of emails and it's all been based around utilizing workplace, creating subgroups so I can have a chat with directly with all the general managers or I can um, speak to my own team or the marketing team. So that has really helped us. And I think we'll continue to utilize and learn how we use that to keep our team informed, keep them engaged, um, help them understand what's going on and also enable us to listen to what they're telling us. Because, you know, one of my big takeouts from this situation is it, would have been very easy to sit as sort of four directors on furloughed and try and work it out for ourselves. But a lot of the answers and the solutions that we have come up with have absolutely come from our team. Um, and we had making things better sessions um, during the lockdown. Um, we'd normally have them um, anyway once a year as part of writing the strategy and writing the budgets. We'd go around every single cafe, meet the whole team as a group of directors, talk to them around what our plans were, what did they need from us, how did they feel we could make things better. And we did that remotely and we did it obviously based around the situation we found ourselves in and, you know, listening to their concerns, listening to their thoughts around how the business could change, how the business could adapt um, was really, really uh, instrumental in getting us to the point we're at now. Yeah, and I think it's very critical when you say to get your people engaged in solving the most critical problems you have sometimes because they often see the world in a different way and uh you often, in, in when you sit in the top, forget some things. I think that's good. I heard others saying that. We had uh, Nina from uh, Point A Hotels, a family-run hotel chain. They have about nine hotels around the UK. And they had done a similar thing. Uh, and they, they, they already had it as a practice, but they just took it online. And she said there were so many questions and concerns that actually get out of the way, but also there came so many solutions, as you said, up. So I think, you know, you can still do that. Uh, that's a good practice, no matter what. But I, that's something you're going to be needing now to have that regular communication. So that I think that's really good to hear that you have uh, uh, engaged with that as well. Yeah, and if you, uh, I, you know, I feel like it's it's worth pointing out that one of the biggest uh, things that came from that was our stance on single-use cups. Uh, you know, we we are obviously a business, as I talked about at the start. It's all about sustainability. The first business to ban single-use coffee cups and um, we were seeing what was happening in the market before lockdown, where a lot of the bigger operators um, were saying that they wouldn't take people's reusable cup and they were going back to single use. Somehow um, they felt it wasn't safe. And um, we talked to our team. We, you know, we asked them, we said, you know, what, what do you think we should do with this? You know, what's our, what should be our position? And um, overwhelmingly, they came back and said, look, we, we can't go back on that. that. That's just something that is absolutely unacceptable to us. And, and we'll, you know, where, where would it leave us as a business if we did? So um, it was great to hear. Uh, it enabled us to go away and come up with a solution. And we have come up with a solution of contactless coffee where the customer could bring in their cup, they place it on a tray. We make the coffee separately in another cup and, and pour it in and then hand the tray back to the customer. Um, and so, you know, we haven't had to go backwards on some of the things that, as I said, you know, we, we've sort of um, fought for as a business to ensure that we can uh, we can deliver. Um, and those are the sort of things I think you have to litmus test with your team to understand what's the right thing to do in this moment. Because, yeah, it'd be very easy to go backwards on a lot of things, um, uh, which would be, I think, hugely detrimental for our planet, um, you know, just before. Um, this morning when I got, I was reading an Economist article about the pandemic of plastic pollution as a consequence of what's happened. Um, you think about all this PPE, um, you know, uh, said about a sort of two hundred and fifty percent increase in single-use plastic as a consequence of PPE. Um, what's happening to all that and the consequence of all that? I think should be quite worrying for all of us in the long term. Yeah, and I think there's like a other crisis coming after this climate change. So, well, we can go down a, a really, really dark route now of other challenges coming that comes from, it all stems from from human behavior, as you touch us. But the interesting things with the the reusable copy cup, well, I actually made a note and said, I'm going to ask him what they did with that. But this sounds like, you, it, it sounds like your business stands by your values. I really like that because of, how did they do that? Because there was a lot of talk, as you said, about, it couldn't be done. And I was thinking exactly the same I heard of what about just making it a different cup and pour it over or whatever you can do. Uh, so yeah, that's really good to hear. Have you, uh, when you come to you, you touched it on before the digitization of your business and, and, it, and then you pushed that forward with some years. 
what is that gonna what do you think that's gonna mean to you of course it's early days but how how is that gonna help your business besides it's uh, you know it's contactless yeah i i think data you know obviously uh the the the, the principle that we can collect a, a lot more data and have a lot more information about our customers their purchasing habits you know we've we've also linked in with uh, another couple of other businesses but airship in particular that's going to i think enable us to understand a lot more about our customers you know at the moment i don't know and i, I don't know the average dwell time of a customer i don't know their frequency or recency of visits um you know there's very little customer data we can get at you know having worked in other businesses certainly one in particular that had quite a big loyalty card scheme you know there's a lot more information that you can use to again i think personalize the experience for the customer and i think that's going to be really important developing those meaningful relationships being able to uh, personalize things for the customer understand their wants and needs more i think is going to be critical for us i just wonder you know for the future where the you know customers now if they are potentially reducing their overall expenditure on eating out lots of reports saying that they they will be um we have to be really good at making sure that you know we we generate loyalty um we value those customers in the right way and i think um this technology will enable us to do that yeah and i think technology can help to leverage that but i think it comes back to when i started looking at your your webpage a couple of days ago and i knew who you guys was from conversation or reading in the press and suddenly it came came very clear to me from the the outset here's some very clear values this business of build pull and the way you operate and i think in my view and this is my view uh, only i think the the operator that stands out in this way and are very clear about what banner they are marching under will will come out on the other side and will also potentially have uh, a very good success rate because consumers are going to be very aware where they're going to spend their hard-earned money as you just said it's going to be less of it but when they're going to spend it they want to feel good about it as well yeah absolutely and i also think it's hugely important for our team one of the biggest things that people tell me the reason they work for Boston Tea Party is because of our ethics because of our stance on you know um, planet before profit because we are a business that um, you know I think reflects the values of um, certainly the sort of younger generation you know our average age of employee is under 26 um, we have a really good gender balance um, and you know, we are a business then I think that attracts people to us because they, they want to work in a business that stands for something um, that isn't just about sort of making money for, you know, a faceless corporation or a, a shareholder. Um, so I think that becomes really important as well, having a purpose for a business um, and sticking to it. Yeah, no, yeah, one thing, having a purpose, but also living it. I think that's uh, that's clearly two different things. I just want to step a couple of steps back, Paul, because we talked about technology and you implement it very quickly. What are you doing to uh, accelerate your digital skills within the business? Because one thing is putting a technology in place. We all know that. But then the, how, how easy does the employees and customer catch up with this? What have your experience been? Because sometimes people say, oh, it's going to be difficult. They're not going to adapt. They're not going to go on it. What have you? I know COVID have probably helped with that because it forced us more than ever to use technology to engage. But what have your experience been with this? Because that's often where people struggle to get it sticky and make it work in organizations. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons when I went through the partner selection with um, you know a number of different providers of this sort of technology, one of the things I recognized quite early is, you know, based on that sort of omni-channel or multiple channel coming into the business and thinking about big volumes that we do, you know, two, three thousand covers a week. Um, I knew that we had to have something that would certainly operationally provide a single view of that sort of those channels coming in so the provider we've chosen vita mojo enables us to have a screen in the kitchen that shows all the different orders broken down by category so you can see what's for delivery or what's for takeaway or what's for dine-in so that piece has been quite important and actually the team have adapted really well and really quickly um it, it always amazes me you know now with sort of certainly technology how quickly the team can adapt it has given us operational pinch points and um, a bit like you know you and i talked i think at the start around 
you know, it's almost like a new opening. You almost have to approach it like a new opening and go, right, you know, we're starting from a very low base here in terms of skills and experience, and we've got to build up some of that muscle memory. Um, but they're doing it really quickly, certainly for click and collect for customers. Again, it's so simple because once you've entered the URL, you're straight onto the menu. It's really well laid out and configured. I think it looks great what they've managed to achieve in terms of the look and feel. Um, and we're finding very few issues with how customers are using it. I think the difference is going to come when dine-in arrives on the 4th of July because, of course, as I said before, that whole service model changes. We've got to make sure that, you know, customers understand, you know, know what to do when they sit down and make that journey as easy as possible for them. Um, but certainly, I think the development within our team um, and the training we've developed has been really helpful as well. So one of, one of the members of my team, um, is for learning and development and what she managed to do was set up a whole load of videos um, again via workplace so we could walk people through exactly what to do stage by stage how to set it up we then had zoom calls with the provider to make sure that the team knew how it all worked and were able to ask questions so um, I've got to say I might be might be early days but um, it's been far easier than I thought it might be when we set out on this journey and I've been really encouraged by how quickly the team have adapted to a very different way of working. And I guess also it's now you should implement all this tech because this is now that we are ready to for change. We all we all starting from scratch. You said you call it a new opening. It's like a, a blank piece of paper on many many things. You could almost implement whatever you thought would be difficult. You can implement now because people will be ready and open for change. I guess because they understand it. It has to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think that uh, in this moment, there is no better time to um, not, not not force things through, but be saying to people, look, this isn't a choice. We're not doing this because, you know, as a business, we feel it's it's the right opportunity, you know, um, on a roadmap of strategic things. Um, we have to do these things to be able to survive, to be able to thrive in what is going to be a very different environment. And I think that does help, you know, one of the biggest challenges to any change program or any you know change that you do in a business is resistance from the people who work in the business to that change so um you know enabling that resistance to be reduced because people understand why we have to do it i think has been absolutely vital um, i'd always start with why as a principle you know when i'm articulating things that need to change but in this um in this situation it's um far far more compelling and uh Coming bigger back to yeah, in a, in the fourth of July, July next week we are we are back and open. How do you look the next twelve to eighteen months? If you could look in a crystal ball, how do you think this is gonna evolve? And I I know there's many variables here, and uh, and uh, but what what is your like you know your your gut feel that this this is how it's gonna move for the, for the industry? I I think it's going to be. Um certainly a much lower levels of sales for a significant period of time until to your point some of those variables are vaccines found or you know uh, the death rate is such and the uh, infection rate is significantly lower and i think it's you, you've always got to look at the you know the consumer behavior because fundamentally that's what drives um, you know our businesses you know what the consumer is doing and i think there will be more people working from home. Lots of businesses have said that this is this is going to be the way for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, you know, so popping in to grab a bacon back or a coffee on your way to work, you know, do we lose those customers? So I think we have got to adapt our business and think about how we attract those customers in. Um, and I think it will be tough between now and Christmas. I do wonder, my wife and I talked about this only yesterday, whether or not Christmas could be bumper because lots of people at that stage, you know, we could be quite, you know, a bit further down the line around infection and people have had a long period of time where they haven't been able to do the things they want to do. So maybe people have a bit of money left over or um, feel like they want to celebrate Christmas in a, in a big way. Um, and then I think getting into next year, you know, it's going to continue to be tough. It's going to be the toughest January we've ever had, I think, and the toughest February. And I think that will be very telling for all of us because you know, a lot of businesses in our sector don't really make any money in January. Um, they make all their money in December um, and that carries them over. So we certainly need to be mindful of that. Um, but I th yeah, I think it's a good 12 months. I really do. And I think it's going to be a long, hard fight back. Um, and we're going to have to be fighting for every single penny to be able to make our business um, you know, survive for the long term.
Do you have any big initiatives? You are you going to launch uh, extra revenue streams besides running out of the cafes? You've seen a lot of operators doing home kits, sources to build these uh, recession-proof income streams or COVID nineteen strategies around creating new revenue way merchandise. I've seen as well. Is that anything you have on the, the plate? You you're going to explore or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Boston at home was an idea that you know we we bounced around uh, early days around putting our sort of you know great sustainable high quality products in a box with some instructions to your door. Um, and we are we are still looking at that and saying actually is that something we can get off the ground um, and uh, and see if there's an opportunity there. Um, you know, we're looking at certainly within. The cafe environments, you know, we, we get all of our milk from a fabulous uh, place called Chew Valley. Uh, those guys are amazing, give us some brilliant uh, quality um, product. And again, could we sell that out uh, um, from a sort of almost a retail point of view um, in sort of reusable um, containers for customers? So we are looking at other things that we could try and do to increase revenue. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the ones we've already added in, like delivering click and collect for us, um, are, are hopefully going to start to uh, to pay the dividends over the long term. Yeah, because it's also you. Every time you open a revenue stream, there's also an operational consequence of keeping that going when the doors opens again, and and that's 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 another thing. So, what about yourself, Paul? Uh, because the job you have had, as you said, that has already been four long months. How do you, as a leader, keep yourself in the right mindset and energy? Uh, even though you're optimist, there's there's hard days, as you mentioned yourself. How do you keep yourself in in the, in the right energy and state? Yeah, so um, I am a bit of a fitness fanatic. Um, haven't always been, in fairness. I had one of those moments when I sort of just broke into my forties, where I realised I probably needed to do something uh, around my uh, my weight uh, and health. So I've got fit over the last few years. Um, I do all manner of things, um, you know, working out. Um, and uh, I think that's quite important for mental health. Uh, so I will do something every day, even if it's just a sort of a quick hit training session for 15 minutes or go for a run or a cycle. So I'll try and do something to keep myself physically fit uh, and mentally fit as a consequence. Um, I think in this moment, it's also been about structure. It's a, you know, it'd be very easy to work um, seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day with the amount of stuff that was going on, but trying to give yourself some structure, trying to have some routine, working in a different way. Um, I spent a lot of time also talking to colleagues. I think it's just great to talk to other people. So, you know, ex-colleagues or friends in retail, you know, at our industry to just be able to bounce ideas around and just be able to get that shared experience and understand that, you know, everybody's um, finding this uh, situation really tough. Um, so they'd probably be the main things I've been doing, trying not to drink too much, trying not to, uh, you know, uh, let the diet get out of control, um, <laughs> as well. Uh, it, it, it's all a challenge and it's all new. Um, I can't tell you I've enjoyed it. I'll be honest. Um, and I won't be sad when, um, I can get out and about again. And actually tomorrow for the first time, I'm going down to our office in Bristol. We are looking at, um, some of the foods that we might add to the menu, um over the coming months so yeah i'm going out to bristol to have a food tasting and i have to tell you i'm very very excited about it yeah especially when you work in hospitality you uh, normally like to engage with people and, and we're quite used to to meet people that's a very very important bit of what we do to socialize thing i think that there's, there's a definitely a big need for that for for everyone and uh I, I I totally agree with you uh it's like, i think maybe actually we all have become a bit more aware and a bit more healthy uh, hopefully use this opportunity to 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 step up the the game in a way I, i've done the same myself being very aware about you know as you said time blocking i call it as well so when do when do you work and when do you do exercise and when are you together with the family because if you as you say you can work you can always work constantly but this just invites to even more you know and there's still the rule about 20 percent of what you do gonna create 80 percent of your results often so good so in the end of the conversation, Paul, I always ask, uh, what what three advice would you give to other leaders out there in the industry from your own experience up to now and what you see is coming? What What is critical that you do as a leader, in your view? Three things. Uh, I suppose, you know, I'm just picking up on probably some of the things that I've already talked about, but I think, you know, listen to your team. You know, that they do have the answers. Um, and I think it's really important 
to create forums or create the space to you know give them a voice uh, and really actively listen to what they're telling you uh, and what it means for your business. Um, I would say that this is an opportunity for change. Again, that, that, that sort of optimistic view. We shouldn't be going backwards or use this as an excuse to um, throw out the baby with the bathwater uh, on things like sustainability, on you know the things that will impact the planet uh, and our, our own lives for the long term. Um, and I think stick to your purpose. You know, if you've got a business purpose, you have to live it. People in this moment, I think, you know, will judge us and we will be defined by some of those decisions we make and, and how we treat people. And I think, you know, having a clear purpose and treating people with fairness, respect, um, whatever the circumstances, I think is absolutely vital. Really great. I love it, uh, Paul. So uh, involve your in- in people or your employees. Uh, make sure that uh, that you think long term. There's a, there's something around the corner as well. People will remember uh, what you do in a crisis, as you said indirectly. And then uh, make sure that uh, you either you know re revisit your purpose, uh, or you really make sure you really live it out because you know purpose is uh, what you can lead behind often uh, in difficult situations. So yeah, super super great advice, Paul. Paul, thank you so much for spending your very valuable time of sharing your stories and giving your uh, insights and also great advice here on on the podcast. I'll send you and the whole team uh, all the energy and power you need to have uh, success in the in the coming period. Thank you. I really appreciate that, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much, Paul. Really great to see Purpose used as a leadership tool to make decisions when things get hard. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share it with people you think would benefit from it, rate it and let us know what you think. Coming Back Stronger series is brought to you by the wonderful people at Vita Mojo, the digital partners for ambitious operators. We're helping Leon, Yosushi, Pharma J and other leading brands transform their businesses with technology. Check them out at software.vitamojo.com or contact them directly at nick.leadle at vitamojo.com. Thank you for listening and keep innovating.